0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson. Here on the Monday edition of the Yard, I had considered doing the Yard tomorrow because that was a travel day for me, getting back from uh, from Arkansas. Went to see uh, my first grandchild. I told you guys that uh, you know we had some things going on, and uh, she's doing well, and uh, had her first pediatrician appointment today, and uh, we're very, very happy to have a healthy, healthy new member to our family. But uh, it was a difficult weekend in other respects, and uh, you know, I know that DJ Looney, my friend, uh, would not want anything to do with him to, uh, to overshadow the joy, but I tell you, it's been a tremendous loss, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about DJ before we get into uh, to a few other things. A lot to talk about. I mean, I'm going to take my time today, and we'll you know, we'll talk about a lot of things that have gone on here in the last few days uh, related to Mississippi State athletics. But um, I was on Ben Love's show at Lafayette, Louisiana earlier today, kind of sharing my, room and, you know, my memories of DJ. And uh, one of the things that, uh, that kind of makes me laugh when I think about DJ, and we've laughed about this many times over the years. In the last, the-, the last time they allowed us. Uh, Football combines to be attended by college football coaches was uh, D.J. Looney's junior year of high school, you know, out of Oak Mountain High School there in Birmingham. And um, so I knew about D.J. Looney. I knew State was recruiting him. We had not offered yet. And so I go to the scout combine. It actually happened to be the same day that Chris Ralph was there. matter of fact, Chris Ralph was the quarterback of the day, the best quarterback that day. And little did we know that he and D.J. would end up being friends and, and teammates. But DJ, uh I told him I said, hey, listen, aren't you DJ learning? And he goes, Yeah, I to introduce myself and uh and I was like, Hey, you're a little bit taller than people told me you were and he goes, How tall did they tell you I was and they told me you were about six foot? And so he had a few he had a few colorful words to say and he goes, No, I man, I'm six two. and I don't know to this day that he was six two or not, because back in those days he wore his hair a little higher. You know, it's like he was trying to it's like he knew that he was going to be measured at the combine. He wanted to grow a grow, you know, grow a little bit of a some growth on top, and um, and so that's what he did. But on that day, you know, a friendship was born. And and uh, you know, you know, for that class, DJ was one of my best sources because he he took ownership of that class. When Sylvester Croom and his staff eventually offered him a scholarship, DJ was so grateful for the opportunity to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. He wanted to help get the best class possible together. And so it was D.J. who worked the phones and checked in with guys and made sure guys came to ball games. And, you know, anytime there was team events and Coach Croom or Coach Stringer and Coach Grimes and those guys had things going on, D.J. was basically an extension of the coaching staff. And he took it upon himself and had such pride in Mississippi State and wanted us to have, you know, some big things going forward. And uh, DJ had a knee injury at, you know, at some point in his college career. Of course, he signed on Mississippi State, and and, uh, and never really reached his full potential. And uh, but one of those things too that uh, it did not diminish his love for the game or his loyalty to Mississippi State. He and John Havlicek, of course, uh, actually had a really good relationship uh, when they were here, and uh, DJ really wanted to impress John because he knew what a tough guy John was, and John expected toughness in his lineman, and DJ wanted to exhibit that. But listen, he was a college kid, you know, and so sometimes it didn't go quite as planned. There are probably some things you do as a college kid you wouldn't do as an adult, and that was certainly the case for DJ back then too. But, uh, but he hung in here and uh, was part of some cool things and then didn't get to finish his playing career due to injury and became a student assistant and then really, I think, found his true calling in life. And there are so many of us that kind of go through an accidental life, and you know what I mean by that. It's kind of like, you know, well, you go get a job because you have to have a job, and then you kind of bounce around until you find something that pays well, and then next thing you know, you've got a mortgage to pay and kids to take care of, and you kind of get trapped in doing some things perhaps that you don't love, but you do what you have to do to pay the bills. But DJ was the guy that found his true calling in life, and that was coaching football. And I remember, as a matter of fact, I was in in the Bryan building, when Buddy Stevens came to sit down and, and talk with, with DJ about the possibility of joining the staff there in Scuba. And I remember how incredibly excited DJ was for that opportunity. Because it wasn't that he was just, you know, kind of good enough to be a student assistant here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, well perhaps, you know, since he's on scholarship, let's get some value out of him. He was so excited to go to East because it was happening. You know what I'm saying? It was happening. He was getting the chance to begin his career. And so he goes over there, and he's not there very long. Does a good job there. And uh, still, still spoke very highly of Buddy uh, you know, kind of throughout his career. I remember when last chance you came out, he said, you know, people are getting to kind of see who Buddy really is. But listen, that's football. There were so many people that were shocked by that. DJ kind of laughed it off and said, hey, man, that's Buddy, you know. Not long after that, he get the opportunity to join Steve Campbell, another great, great coach at University of Central Arkansas. I remember one time I was passing through Conway, Arkansas. needed to stop for lunch. I was on my way to Bentonville for an event there. I said, hey, where do I need to eat? He tells me about some local hamburger joint there, and he goes, I'm telling you, dude, it's, it's great. And every time that I'm in Conway now, and I'm in there a little more regularly these days, and I pass by that place and I always think of him, I said, you know what? I need to go in there and get a burger just because DJ told me to. D.J. then, of course, gets the opportunity to come back to Mississippi State. And uh, one of the best days of his life, without question, was when he got the opportunity to come be the tight ends coach at Mississippi State. Because, he listen, he knew what it took. He understood the standards. He understood how to sell Mississippi State. You know, he went to work and it was a big part of that 2018 class. You know, Jaden Crumity and those guys. I mean, he, he really worked hard to sell Mississippi State. And, uh, you know, Dan leaves, and uh, for one reason or another, they elect not to take D.J. to Florida, and, and, and he was hurt by that. He was, but he didn't, he didn't let that taint his love and respect for Dan Mullen and John Hevesy, you know, even though he was incredibly disappointed. He understood that it was a business, and he was still a relatively new coach and only had, you know, one year of SEC experience under his belt, and, uh, and to be fair, probably wasn't ready for a job as big as Florida. He hoped to get on here at Mississippi State, Hope Joe Moorhead would keep him. And it uh, didn't work out. And uh, D.J. was willing to do whatever. But he, And here's the thing that I think probably illustrates what a great person D.J. Looney was, and that seems so weird to say. We're getting ready to play Louisville in the Gator Bowl, play Lamar Jackson. And I would say about a weekend of, to practices, bowl practices, D.J. calls and tells me, he goes, hey, we're going to win the game. I said, you think so? And I'll be honest with you, I didn't expect us to win the game. (laughs) I did not not expect us to win. I thought, listen, you know, with this kind of, you know, ragtag thrown together coaching staff and, you know, Nick Fitzgerald was hurt. Obviously you you recall the cheap shot of which he endured in the Egg Bowl that year. But DJ said, you know what, we're going to win the game. We're going to win the game. He goes, our kids have something to prove. And he goes, and I'm going to tell you this, I'm not going to coach my last game in Maroon and White and take a loss. And so we go and win the game, and the very first guy, and if you've seen the the Hell State highlights and all that, the very first guy that ran on the field was D.J. Looney with, uh, you know, arms kind of cast skyward because Mississippi State had shocked college football. Nobody really gave State an opportunity to win the game. D.J. believed we could, believed in our kids. He went out and executed, and a great great group of guys that really kind of made that thing happen. But D.J. always took a lot of pride in the fact that he was part of that, that group that nobody really expected much from, but gave him an opportunity to be a college football player and a coach on the SEC level. And he felt that he owed it to the Mississippi State family. And one of the things that I'll share with you guys that you probably would never know otherwise is that uh, even when D.J. was in East Mississippi or in Central Arkansas or UL Lafayette, you know, if there were kids out there that uh, were kind of they kind of fit what Mississippi State was looking for, and he knew that perhaps they weren't going to come to the school that he was at, he would say, "Hey, Mississippi State, here's a kid you might want to look at." Now, when he was at Georgia, I'll, I'll share with you that uh, he took great pride in the fact that he beat Hevesy on a kid. I can't remember which kid it was. It was uh, some junior college uh, kid that uh, went on to Georgia. I could look it up, but you know, really, just really irrelevant. But he took great pride in the fact that he beat Hevesy for the kid. Thought that was big. Thought that was a step in the right direction. You know, the, the biggest legacy, and this is one of those things that you share with people, is seeing the explosion of emotion on social media after the news of DJ's passing had made the rounds. Not, and not just the football aspect of it. And not just our players. And, of course, any time that our players hurt, we hurt with them, right? But this is a loss that we all felt because D.J. was one of us. But to see, and listen, I'm not a Bruce Feldman fan. Those of you that have followed my work for many years understand that I'm you know, not, not, not much of a fan. But I thought Bruce Feldman did a great job, a great job honoring D.J.'s memory and interviewed Red Hobart and Steve Campbell and so many other people and kind of shared their sentiment. And it really kind of encapsulated what we were all feeling. Because it's not about it's a former player or a former coach, DJ was a bulldog, and he was a friend to all, to all. i have had so many people reach out, former players, former coaches, and everybody said, Jay, do you remember when this happened? Do you, do you remember, remember when DJ said this and DJ did this? And that's how I choose to remember him. And one of the things that I think about, and I've thought about this a lot in the last couple of days, is I'll be honest with you, it's been difficult. It's really been difficult. And I think, you know, maybe the fact that we've had J Wilson and then PJ Jones, and then this it just you know it's kind of, the losses kind of stack up on us, and sadly we have gotten too familiar with uh, retweeting and donating to a GoFundMe for a funeral for a player that we watched win a ball game for Mississippi State in the not too distant past. It's very difficult, but there were so many people that shared their stories about man DJ was my friend DJ was my friend. DJ did this to help me. DJ cared about me. And I'll share it with you, There, I I tweeted this out, and I don't know that people fully appreciate it. You know, it's one of those things, it's kind of in the infancy of my recruiting coverage career. You know, when I say that, there were years where I used to just sit around and call kids and call myself a recruiting analyst. But when I actually started going on the road and actually watching kids and seeing the difference between a G5 kid and a Power 5 kid or an SEC kid and a Big 12 kid. I mean, you know, it's like when you get around the people that do this regularly and you can pick some brains and kind of learn some things. You know, it was kind of one of those first big things for me I was interviewing a guy named DJ Looney, you know, from, from Oak Mountain, Alabama. And uh, he became a great resource for me over the years. But uh, it's, he never met a stranger. And that's the thing. It's one of those things, and I shared this on the radio earlier, Anytime that I had anything happen in my life of significance, anything, whether it was good, bad, or indifferent, anything that I had, and even if he just thought that maybe I might be a little bit down about something, he would call me or he would text me and say, hey, brother, thinking about you, praying for you, call me if you need me. And there'd be other times something big would happen and he would call and he would say, all right, all right, tell me what's going on. You know, because he wanted to know, because he cared about people. He cared about me. He cared about you. And that's the thing that I will miss most of all. Not the football stuff. You know, not the fact that he wore the maroon and white, which I have a tremendous amount of respect for all that do. But not just because of the fact that whenever Mississippi State would have a coaching search that he would always call me and say, hey, who are you hearing? Man, I want to get back. I want to get back. But if I can't get back, I want Mississippi State to get the best coaches possible because he loved Mississippi State. And that's the thing that I think that, uh, that really kind of drew people to DJ. is you know, It's one of those cliches now. People say, well, you know, they, they love what the big love, and they loved you big. That's, but that's really the case with DJ. And uh, I know that uh, he thought so highly of Dr. Mark Keenum and athletic director John Cohen and Joe Moorhead. And even though Joe let him go, even though Joe didn't retain him, you know, DJ, while he was bitter about some things, he put that aside pretty quickly. Because he wanted Joe to win because he wanted Mississippi State to win. And so I share that with you today just because of the fact that I think it's important to know that there was, it was more to it than just a former player or a guy that just happened to pass through. Because he, and I'm so grateful for this, even if it was only for one year, he got his dream job and that was to coach at Mississippi State. Things didn't go the way we'd wanted. You know, and uh, I'm sure he wanted much greater things. But I choose to believe the fact that uh, DJ Looney is probably in a position now to help us maybe more than ever. And perhaps he'll put in a good word for the dogs uh, when he gets the opportunity. But DJ was my friend, and he was your friend, and he was certainly a friend of Mississippi State. I want to thank our good friends at Bulldog Burger Company, longtime sponsors of the show, man, a great restaurant and part of a family of restaurants here in the Golden Triangle that have served us for many, many years. They know exactly what they're doing. You want, you want a good night out dining? Go to Bulldog Burger Company. You get the spring rolls to make you feel better about life, make you better looking as well. As a matter of fact, I got a text earlier today from my friend Matt Talent from Jackson that said, hey, Steve, I am just happen to be passing through. And I'm going to go have lunch at Bulldog Burger Company. And so, Matt, thank you. Thank you for doing that. I hope that you did have the spring rolls because it will make you and everyone around you better looking. Go find your own favorites. You can get a great restaurant-quality hamburger right there at Bulldog Burger Company. Now we're two locations to serve you right here on University Drive in Starkville and on Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet, M-E-A-T. Our top story today, Mississippi State power forward Robert Woodard, has elected to remain in the WNBA, in the NBA draft, excuse me. A little bit of a surprise. I can't say a shocker. You know, last week we were hearing that many in the family hoped he would come back. Not that they expected him to come back. And listen, you know, Paul Jones has uh, kind of followed this basically on the daily uh, for the last few weeks, just trying to get some insight there. A lot of people out there had some varying opinions. The thing that I continue to hear You know, what happens if we don't have a basketball season this year? You know, the NBA is playing now. But uh, there's a lot of water to pass under the bridge before college basketball starts. And that's really the the big decision here, right? I mean, it's like under normal circumstances, if you don't get the first-round guarantee, maybe you say, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and look to play my way into better draft position. But what if we don't have a season this year? And so it's good that Robert Woodard now is going to bet on himself. We wish him the absolute best. I'm not one of those people to be like, oh, my gosh, you're making a big mistake. Listen, we only got one life to live. And so you have to do what you feel is best for you. And this was Robert's message. First, I would like to thank God for the opportunities he has given me. To the coaches, teammates, and the Hell State family, thank you for your support the past two years. I have had the pleasure of meeting so many great fans. As you know, I entered the NBA draft with the option of maintaining my eligibility. After much prayer and consideration, I have decided to remain in the 2020 NBA draft. The Bulldog experience will forever run deep in my heart. Once a Bulldog, always a Bulldog. Hashtag HellState, Robert A. Woodard II. So now we wait, you know, but here's the deal, too. There's so many people, too, that, you know, that said Robert Woodard might be the best prospect Mississippi State has. Uh, That might be true. And uh, But he is a guy, too. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, if you don't get the first-round guarantee. And I think Robert Woodard's the kind of guy that will go make a team because he does so many of the team things first. You know what I'm saying? He is a guy that – he's a help side defender. He's a guy that gets up and contest shots. He does rebounding. You know, he puts a lot of emphasis on his defensive play. And so there are a lot of guys that are kind of, you know, one-dimensional. They're just great scorers. I think Robert Woodard – has the scoring piece, and that is something that will only get better. But where I think what separates him from some other players in this draft, and there are a lot of guys that have elected to return to school that will probably help Robert move up some boards, possibly in the first round. We certainly hope so. Hope, We hope, hope that's the case. But he does the team things well. He doesn't mind setting a pick. He celebrates with teammates on great defensive plays, and I think that's going to allow him – when he gets into the NBA combine, I think he is going to turn some heads because of the fact that uh, he is a guy that is a team-first guy in a league that is a me-first league. And so I think there is a place for him in the NBA, and I hope that he finds it. I hope he finds it quickly, and I hope he goes out and does a tremendous job. Uh, as you guys saw over the weekend, Quintary Waterspoon scored his first points in an official NBA game for San Antonio Spurs. And so maybe we're seeing some things change there. I don't know. But I know this, and one of the things that helps recruiting is when you have players come to your program and ultimately end up in the National Basketball Association. It's very difficult to do. It's not like the NFL or Major League Baseball. I mean, it's a much smaller roster, it's a much smaller draft. So it's difficult to get kids into the NBA. But if you are able to do that, that only helps your recruiting pitch. You can say, hey, we got Quinter Weatherspoon in there. Uh, we got Robert Woodard and or Reggie Perry uh, in the NBA. And so now you have that same opportunity. And so perhaps that will help us kind of turn a quarter in recruiting. This season, however, I think it's going to be very difficult. And there's some other people out there that will suggest otherwise. I, I just, you know, I don't see it. And uh, I, I want to see it, okay? And I don't think anybody right now can intelligently say, hey, listen, we're going to have a great basketball team this year because I don't believe anybody truly believes that. I'm not saying that we're going to have a bad team. I think it's going to be a very challenging year, though. We could see some guys step up. You know, you know, Tulu Smith last year sat on the bench, you know, he could come in and be a real difference maker for us this year, perhaps. Javian Davis transfers in. We do expect that waiver to be approved. Now, all of a sudden, you have more size in the front court. You know, perhaps that makes a difference. But it's a guard-oriented game right now, and State's guards are very young. One of the things I looked at, too, and, and I'm not a math major. I'm, I'm nothing but a mere scribe. But Mississippi State's losing nearly 75% of its offense. State scored, if I remember correct, 2,275 points. You got 625 points returning. And Abdullah, Do, Iverson, Molinar, and D.J. Stewart. There's not a lot coming back. From a starting standpoint, as you guys know, DJ, of course, part-time starter last year. And I, and I really believe that times last year, DJ was Mississippi State's best athlete. I don't know that he was our best player. I thought he was our best athlete. And so we'll see how things kind of progress from there. But he and Iverson Molinar, you feel like those guys in a do would start, and then we'll kind of figure it out from there. But uh, we've had four transfers, and I'll be honest with you, of the four transfers, only one of those guys, I think, really had the potential to develop into a regular guy in the rotation, and that's Elias King. Uh, I don't think Devin Butts, uh, Keyshawn Fazel, Prince Aduro were really going to be main contributors. Of course, you know some guys see minutes because you have no choice. You have to have some guys out there when you're in foul trouble. But uh, I believe, my hope is anyway, I believe that we have upgraded our roster with some talent, even though we may not see a lot of that come to fruition this year. I do believe this is a big year for Ben Howland, and I think that uh, he has a very challenging situation with the roster that, uh, that he has. And there are a lot of people, that the first thing that these things happen is, say, Steve, what's going on with men's basketball? Well, I'll tell you, you know, the game has changed. The game has changed a lot. There are a lot of, there's a lot of people that come to college with the expectation of being a one-and-done. And, done. and there, there are a lot of guys, too, that are one-and-dones for different reasons. There are other guys that come in here and find out that they can't play and they get processed out, and they end up going to McNeese State or Stephen F. Austin or some place like that. And listen, there have been some recruiting misses. There have been. And I believe this year we've got to hit on all these guys. And, and the thing that I have learned about that is if, if you're depending on freshmen, no matter how talented they are, it's going to be a very challenging year. Again, we'll have some experience in the front court. We have got feel pretty good about our starting guards, but uh, you've got to have depth in this league. But today is not a good day for Mississippi State basketball. But it should be a very good day for Robert Woodard. And so while we, again, kind of absorb that collective loss, we wish Robert the best. We're not going to selfishly say, oh, he should have came back. Because, Because let's be honest, how would we feel a year from now if there is no winter season, if there is no men's basketball, and then he misses the opportunity to go in the draft? Many of us would have said, you know what, he should have gone when he had the chance. So we absolutely wish him the absolute best, and uh, also wish the best for Ben Howland and the Mississippi State coaching staff as they uh, they kind of figure this thing out. And again, I I expect it to be a, a real challenging year, and I think that we're going to have to have some we're going to have to have some young guys really do a great job for us uh, to be a competitive team in this league. And I think there will be some parity in the league. There'll be some teams, of course, that we might be able to get, but. Uh, if you look around the league, a lot of those guys that were going to go out in the draft, if, if elected to come back, I know LSU in Arkansas uh, getting some interesting pieces back, and then LSU has a top ten class on top of it. Uh, you know, it's one of those things too you kind of scratch your head about too with all the the, the, the connections with Will Wade and this uh, you know Nike investigation and the fact that they are uh, you know appear to be moving forward unscathed. I mean, it's just one of those things you just kind of wonder about. You know it's like what what's really happening here you know when uh and you've got a coach on there talking about making a sweet you know what offer uh listen if you're offering more than tuition room and board and books uh what are you doing to sweeten that deal and so those are the things that you kind of look at and you say you know i just don't know if it makes a lot of sense but um be that as it may there are a lot of people out there that uh that have a lot more information than you and I do about that situation. And so hopefully at some point all things are known. Uh, I'm a big believer in transparency, and and I think the NCAA, quite honestly, needs to be a lot more transparent about these investigations. And I understand, too, that the the sanctity of the investigation has to be protected. Uh, But one of the things that I've always felt is like the the notice of allegations, and you guys know I have some experience with that, whether you make that notice uh, available or not, because they are allegations, I think the fact that uh, a university is under investigation should be public knowledge, and it should be acknowledged by both the university and the NCAA so that other recruits can consider, you know what, I don't know if I want to take that opportunity because I might sign on to a school and then unbeknownst to me, uh, you know, kind of suffer through some difficult seasons because some people were dishonest with me. And so I think it's in the best interest of the student-athlete for the NCAA to make that information public. And again, uh, if if you want, if the NCAA doesn't want to make the notice public, and many member institutions do, others, you have to take them to court to get that information. Uh, but the, but my, the bottom line is, is that it, it should be public. And uh, I know sometimes things get leaked to the media, especially with this Nike investigation. It seems that things are constantly getting leaked. But... Um, not so much about LSU, which is very, very interesting because they're not a blue-blood program when it comes to men's college basketball. You can you kind of understand, you know, maybe if, you know, if a Kansas or a Kentucky or a North Carolina or a Duke or whatever. But LSU is kind of new money when it comes to basketball. I mean, yeah, Del Brown had some good years. You know, Nikita Davis took them to a the Final Four when they had nothing. You know, Shaq, Stanley Roberts, those guys, Chris Jackson. They had a good run. But, again, they're new money. It's just it's not their thing. I want to remind you guys, too, if you're looking at Baccalawn, and you should be, because, listen, it is it is the sweaty time of year, right? Every Like, just walk into the mailbox. It's just so humid out there. Uh, by the time you get back, you need to freshen up a little bit. So let me remind you, go to hawthorne.co. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O. And use promo code BONEYARD to unlock some savings for yourself. Listen, nobody ever told you how to buy cologne. You, they didn't. You just kind of went along with what your friends had or your dad had and whatever mom got you at Christmas, whatever was on sale in the gift set section. You know, maybe it was uh, Aqua Velva or whatever. But it didn't fit you. You don't need to go out there and wear what everybody else is wearing. Go take their short quiz and find out what fits you and your preferences. It's a short two-minute quiz. I don't think it takes two minutes. You'll be amazed. It's the best clon that I've ever worn. I do my best to wear it every day. Now, even, if I'm not, even if I'm not leaving the house. It's, it's something about you looking good, smelling good, feeling good. It all kind of works together. And Hawthorne will help you with that. Again, that's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O, promo code Boneyard. Hawthorne dot C-O. Top ten list, The uh, I've got a bunch of them. and uh, But keep sending them because I'm kind of sifting through. And listen, if it may take me a while to get to yours because I have to find something that strikes my fancy. But I... I got a message over the weekend um, that said, "Hey, here's a deal. Here's the deal. I was an attending physician on call the night of the Leonard Skinner plane crash in Gillsburg, Mississippi, and I was there when the late Grant Roddy Van Zandt, Cassie Gaines, I believe, was uh, arrived DOA." Would you do a top 10 Leonard Skinner? And I thought to myself, why have I not done this? Why? You know, listen, I am a Mississippi kid. And I I listen to that song sometimes regularly. I I love that song. I love the vibe behind it. Love Leonard Skinner. I had a, matter of fact, I had a pastor that was a huge Skinner fan from Alabama, of all places. And it really turned me on to Skinner in my teen years. And I did it right. The first Skinner tape, the first cassette that I bought, was pronounced Leonard Skinner. Uh, I am not the Johnny Van Zant Skinnerd fan. All due respect to Johnny Van Zant. when Ronnie died, the spirit of Leonard Skinnerd, I think, died too. And so I know Johnny and them have kind of kept it alive and kind of honored the legacy, and I appreciate that, but I, I, the new material just doesn't speak to me the way that uh, you know, Steve Gaines and Ronnie and uh, Alan Collins and and uh, you know, Ricky Medlock to a certain extent. Yeah, people forget Ricky Medlock was a founding member of Leonard Skinner and left and it went and formed Train or Blackfoot and then came back. And not Train, certainly. So here's my top 10 Leonard Skinner songs. You might disagree. I could have put a bunch of honorable mentions on here, but I didn't. I just kind of stuck to the top 10 today. My top 10 Leonard Skinner songs, and there will be some surprises on this list because here's the thing there are some Skinner songs. Did a little overplayed, and there are a couple of them you're thinking, oh, I know he's not going to do this. Well, no, I'm going to. One of the things is going to be really cliche, but there's going to be another song or two that's probably lower than most people would have on there. But I get a little deeper into the catalog. Number ten for me, and I, I did not really think Metallica's version of the song was very good. I thought their cover of Turn the Page was great. I thought Tuesday's Gone was a song that we should have left alone. And that's number 10 for me and for those of you that don't know Tuesday is a woman but Tuesday's Gone is a great song it's, it's basically a blue song and I thought it, Ronnie Van Zant great vocal performance and Ronnie wasn't a guy that had a huge range but he's a guy that sang with conviction number nine that smell and I don't know if you know this but that smell is actually based on an experience that Gary Rossington had uh you know gary was kind of new to the band when they were recording street survivors album and um had a wreck and hit a tree drinking and driving and so they wrote the song that smell and uh gary rossington lucky to be alive but also lucky to be retained in the band after all that happened but uh that smell is one of those songs too it's like from the very beginning it's like we're learning we're telling a song it's one things about skinner that that i really appreciated is that uh they had a narrative. You know, it wasn't just, uh, hey, let's let's go put a few bars together and sing a happy song. They always had a little something to say. Number eight for me, and I know this will be much lower than most of your list. I get it. But it's Sweet Home Alabama. And one of the reasons why is because, number one, it is so incredibly overplayed. There are so many other great songs in the catalog. And so it's, hey, man, here's some standard put on Sweet Home Alabama. And it's one of those songs, too, you know, from the opening bars. I mean, it's got, you know, that classic intro. But, you know, maybe it's because of the fact that I've been to Alabama so many times and lost a football game. Maybe I've got a negative feeling about that. But this is one of those songs, I'll be honest with you, there are a lot of times it comes on the radio, and I just go ahead and move on. I just do. You know, if there's people in the car and people want to sing along, I might feel differently. But uh, I'm not a huge Sweet Home Alabama fan because I think it's just one of those songs that, while it is a classic, it is an overplayed classic. Number seven for me is What's Your Name, a song actually written about Mel. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Melody Van Zant, his daughter, and here's a little uh, information for you that you probably didn't know. Melody Van Zant went on to marry a guy named Jason Todd, who was the original recording guitarist for my favorite new, new band, Shinedown. And because of that relationship, that's why Shinedown was able to cover Simple Man, because uh, the Van Zant family doesn't really just kind of grant permission to just anybody to record their songs. Number six for me, one of I love this song. It's one of those songs that comes on, and every time it does, I just pump it up a couple of notches on the volume. It's called "Me the Breeze." Uh, really, really love that song. It's uh, it's one of those things too. It's just kind of a free spirit song. And uh, it, when you it's we talked about Tom Petty the other day. "Call Me the Breeze" is one of those songs you just can kind of put on and you know roll the windows down, put the radio up, and feel good about life. Number five, and I could have gone much higher with this one. Because there are some days, this is my favorite Leonard Skinner song. And that's Saturday Night Special. Kind of a cautionary tale about handguns, and about buying guns on the street and that sort of stuff. Um, I love the music on this song. Lyrically, I think it's great. But I think this is Leonard Skinner at its best. I, I think Saturday Night Special you want to talk about southern rock that if you want to put together a top 10 list of southern rock songs i think saturday night special has got to be in there somewhere number four another one again that may not be on the top of your list but again where i felt this was true skinnered and not necessarily radio friendly skinnered is give me back my bullets great great song Uh, i could listen to it all the time i I i think Watching the videos, the live performances of that song, everybody in that band just looks so cool. You know what I'm saying? It's like everybody believed in what they were doing. They were musicians of conviction. And this is one of those songs, when they pull it off live, it it really, really, really spoke to me. Uh, Number three, one of the greatest stories ever told in song is Give Me Three Steps. Uh, I'm probably going to make this my... uh, my go to karaoke song in the years to come. I think I can pull this off regularly. But uh, you know, we've all been down in a place called the Jug with a girl named Linda Lou. I mean we all it's you know to ride a pass. It's a Southern gentleman, right? But Gimme Three Steps, a great song, funny song, a lot of good Ronnie Van Zant isms in that song. I love it, it's a classic. Now, I think you get down to the final two, because most people would have Sweet Alabama in the top three. But I don't know that anybody outside of the state of Alabama that would pick Sweet Out Home Alabama higher than third. Number two on the list, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier, Simple Man, Words for Living. Uh, There's so many lyrics in that song that speak to me. You know, think about it, you know, forget your lust for the rich man's gold, all that you need is in your soul. Uh, That's, there's never been better words written than that i mean it's like the sentiment behind that you know it's focus on what matters most you know don't go chase what the world has for you don't go chase material possessions you know it's about yourself and it's about your soul and it's about all the things in life that should really matter to you and so i think simple man and i know it's some people have called it you know the redneck national anthem and that sort of stuff and that's cool too whatever uh if i can promise you when uh when we get to the great trailer park in the sky, uh, Ronnie Van Zant's going to be sitting out front playing a harmonica and uh, we'll all be singing along to Simple Man. and That'll be just fine with me. Uh, number one for me, and it's got to be Freebird, right? It has to be. I mean, how could you do a Skinner song and not have Freebird number one? And what's so crazy to me is when I think about that whole that pronounced Leonard Skinner album, is that every song on that album sounds like a single. That's how This is their rookie album. It, it's almost like the appetite for destruction thing, you know, with Guns N' Roses. It's like Leonard Skinner comes out with Pronounced Leonard Skinner, and it seems like every song on there should have been on the radio. And you know what? Many of them were. That's how big it was. Leonard Skinner, one of those bands that really kind of changed music. And listen, I know there's been some controversy in years about, you know, about some of the Southern Heritage stuff with them, and I get it. I do. I understand that times are changing. Uh, but it doesn't, to me, it doesn't take away the legacy of the music that Ronnie Van Zant. And uh, those greats have left us uh, to enjoy. And uh, so few of those guys, you know, still alive. And you know, Ricky Medlock still playing, Gary Rossington. And a little aside from that, too, those of you that are Skinner fans that, uh, you know, maybe haven't dipped into the catalog for a while, when you go look up at iTunes and you pull up the essential stuff, pull up some Rossington Collins stuff. Uh, great, great, great Southern Rock type stuff. But that's my list. You might disagree, but that's how that's how I see it. And uh I didn't put the ballot of Curtis Lowe on there. I love that song too. Because, listen, I think I think every I think every one of us probably had somebody buy some uh some liquor for us when we were kids, you know, and, and we shouldn't have been able to buy it. I know I did. And uh so be that as it may, there's a lot of memories for me for Leonard Skinner. And I remember the very first time I heard Leonard Skinner uh, you know, probably more so than this on the radio. As I was down in Fort Walton Beach. My dad had a condo down there. We went down there and, uh, and spent some time. And there was a guy down by the pool, and uh, he just letting the tape player play. That's you know, back in the days when everybody had a boom box, and you'd go lay by the pool and sip a cold one and put some tunes on. And, and I heard two or three songs, and I remember thinking, man, who is this? He goes, May man, that's Leonard Skinner. That's Mississippi rock and roll. And uh, I immediately became a fan. And uh, it's one of those things. It's one of those bands too. I think it kind of takes you back to a simpler time. And again, there are a lot of other people that uh, you know may not appreciate it, but I certainly do. That's my top ten Leonard Skinner list. Campus Bookmart. I was in there earlier this week. Well, I said it's week. It's all the days run together. But um, I was there on Friday before I left to go to Arkansas to uh, to meet the grandbaby, and uh, stopped in there and bought her some Mississippi State stuff. You know, you can't buy your first cowbell so i bought her a little pink cowbell to put in her room and got her some mississippi state clothes and socks and uh really excited they were a huge hit everybody thought man how cool is this and they, they should like it because number one um her grandfather is the uh the resident cool person but also too i'm not going to run the risk of anybody putting any razorback gear on that baby and so we're going to go ahead and get out first and ensure that uh, we get some pictures taken of the Mississippi State stuff, and there will be more Mississippi State stuff uh, in that baby's wardrobe in the years to come. Got it all at Campus Book Mart. Very, very happy to, to look there, and I uh, was very surprised at the selection of baby clothes and uh, children's clothes there. It's been a while since I've had to look for that sort of stuff. So if you're looking to outfit a baby in your life, maybe you are getting grandpa- grandkids, or maybe you're getting kids of your own. You can get them maroon white threads at campusbookmart.net. I'm going to encourage you. Visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And promo code BSR will get you free shipping on all orders over 50 bucks. And I'll tell you this, when you start buying for your grandkids, you're going to spend more than 50 bucks. Absolutely love this new role already. And, of course, that BSR stands for beautiful Steve Robertson. Since we were together... Mississippi State has picked up a new commitment. We've talked a little bit about defensive line recruiting, how that's kind of been a moving target for, for the Bulldogs. We had Travon Marshall out of Stockbridge, Georgia, over the weekend. And this is one, you know, I, I had it when I, I posted on Gene's page here oh, a few days ago. Here's the way I see things. I had Trevon Marshall in the class. I didn't think it was going to happen this weekend. I thought we would probably, you know, go a few weeks longer. But this is, again, State, Matt Brock's been recruiting this kid for a while, kind of doing their due diligence and then kind of going out and and getting out first, really. And then you've had some other people kind of play follow the leader. Uh, Not a real impressive offer sheet today, but I expect that to change. State beats out Georgia State, Southern Miss, and Tulane. And you got to figure, well, Steve, we could do that in November. That's true. But I think when you know you have your guy, you know what I'm saying? Because here's the argument people would make is if we waited in November and all of a sudden the kid had a dozen offers, and all of a sudden we're just another offer. I think if, you know, if this kid fits what you want to do, he fits your culture, he checks out grade-wise, go get him. If you believe in him, go get him. I don't think you played recruiting games with kids that you really want. And so State goes and gets him. And so now there's two defensive line spots left. We feel very good about Ty Cooper filling one of them. So now all of a sudden you begin to think, okay, if this Ty Cooper thing goes the way we expect it to, Well, now we're just looking for one more defensive lineman, and that's a defensive tackle. Jamon Gordon, of course, from East Mississippi, is on everybody's wish list. I don't expect him to go to Mississippi State. I know Devin Lee out of Georgia also narrowed his list recently to to six goals. Mississippi State's in there. So let's say you go get Ty Cooper, Devin Lee, and Trevon Marshall. There's your defensive line class. And so while, you know, on paper, in hindsight, you look at it and say, wow, you know, it doesn't seem that we have a lot of direction or a real path here for defensive line. But now all of a sudden you add Marshall you expect to get Ty Cooper. Well, it's just there's not a lot of room left. You continue to recruit some kids, but all of a sudden you begin to realize, okay, there was a plan here that perhaps that we were not privy to. And so now all of a sudden your defensive line recruiting begins to come into focus because of the fact that uh, you get one of your kids in the boat, you feel good about uh, your local kid and Ty Cooper, and then one of your priority interior guys has you among the final six. So then we just kind of waited out and see what happens next. Since we have spoken, Gabe Cavasso, offensive lineman from Lake Cormorant, Mississippi, made the trip to Starkville over the weekend. He and his mom just kind of took a look around. Couldn't do anything on campus. So what I mean by that, they can go look around. It's a, it's, a, you know, it's a free society. But they didn't have any meetings with coaches or having tours. But they drove down and just kind of got a feel for the town. Got a feel for Starkville. And uh, listen, this is a kid, too, that uh, wants to stay close to home. I've been in contact with Nick Nester, the head coach there, as well as uh, one of the coaches there, Cam Olson. You know, they, they both share with me, hey, we're gonna, the kid's going to take his time, but you know, he really wants to stay closer to home. And so now, of his own volition, shortly after getting offered from Mississippi State, he and Mom get in the car and come down here, and that's one of the things that Gabe had told me that Mississippi State had told him. is said, hey, before we do anything and even, even begin to talk about a commitment, you need to come down here and look around the town and kind of see what you're getting into before we even get serious about that. I think it says a lot, too. I think it says a lot about you. Because, listen, it would be real easy just to go ahead and take the kid and kind of kind of keep the high pressure up down the road and be able to keep him in the boat. But, you know, listen, let's don't rush into this. It's just at the beginning of August. we got four months to figure this out. And so you know, let's take some time and be sure about what we're doing before we enter into a relationship with each other. And so I think that's savvy recruiting, but also too, I think here's the thing too about Starkville. And you know this, it's not for everybody, but it is for most everybody. And if you're a college kid and had the opportunity to play in the SEC and you come down here and you look at our commitment to athletics on this campus and you begin to realize, hey man, you know, these guys are serious about football. It's kind of one of those uh, you know, hidden things. You know, a lot of people think, well, you know, I've always heard Mississippi State's in the middle of a cow pasture. You know, listen, we don't have any beef with cows, pardon the pun. We love cows. We milk cows. We raise cows. We feed cows. We eat cows. Got no problem with cows, but we're not in the middle of a cow pasture. We ring cow bells to show our honor and respect for cows. Because in years past we've had a cow wander onto the field and turn a ball game around and we beat Ole Miss. And so with Gabe Cavazos coming down here and kinda of checking that out, I think again, I think I think it begins to kinda of check the boxes. I think it's just a matter of time. And so you've got Macklin Pounders in. I'm already counting Gabe Cavazos, even though he is not formally announced. So then that leaves you three other spots. And again, there appears to be, you know, a path there too, you know. What happens with Jim Riley there at Tishomingo County? You know, he is a guy, too, that uh, lifelong Mississippi State fan. Probably need to see him in person, kind of see how things progress with him this year, because he's going to play offensive tackle full-time for the first time. But he's a great athlete. He's a guy that has some real potential. You know, Rod Orr is a guy that's about to release his top five. We hope Mississippi State is still in the top five. Caleb A.T.N., junior college uh, lineman originally from New Orleans, uh, is going to play the spring, and so that means he will be able to enroll in an SEC school, whereas the, the thought was about two months ago is that because of the fact that he was looking to get out in December, that would preclude him from going to an SEC school because he still had some classes that he needed to finish up to kind of get around the SEC admission standards. So now all bets are off. And I'm being told by somebody close to the situation that he's going to pick an SEC school. Now, his top five, I guess, was released uh, late last week. Mississippi State and South Carolina the only SEC teams in that grouping. I don't know that that's the final five. Ole Miss recently offered again. He was a longtime Ole Miss commitment, and then they ultimately didn't sign him once it was pretty much assured that he was going to junior college. Nickel State did sign him, hoping, uh, kind of against hope, things would work out. It didn't work out. But so you begin to see these names and you begin to realize, you know what, it's, we're really getting down to the nitty-gritty. Numbers are already tight. You're only talking basically most personnel groups, you know, outside of OLDL, you're, you're down to one spot. You know, I think Jacoby Moore, I think we can all agree, Jacoby Moore is a take wide receiver right now. Still figuring some things out at the all-purpose back spot. Not even sure if we take one. And you go out and get a handful more linemen. You get a couple D linemen, get a little linebacker, get some DBs. We're done. You know, that's my share with me recently. I haven't done the research on this. But I believe this to be true because the numbers kind of resonate with me based on my own recollections of last year. In May of last year, we had like 17 commitments. 17. I give Joe a lot of credit. You know, last year, Joe did a good job kind of getting those kids on campus and having a chance to really make them feel like a big deal to Mississippi State. And so we're a little bit behind that number, and I think that's good. I think it's good because there's no need to kind of rush this process. But to Joe's credit, he signed a good class for us in December, and then, you know, Mike Leach and those guys came in and kind of cleaned up in February. But uh, we're still figuring some things out right now. But, again, I don't expect this to be a top 25 class unless some things break loose late, but I do think it'll be a, be one of the better classes Mike Leach has ever signed, and due to the lack of star power in our state, it's going to be difficult, and listen, this is a rare year. I've, I've been covering recruiting now full time for 17 years, uh, for about 20 years total, and I don't remember a year in the state quite like this one. I just don't. So. You know, we may have some guys that kind of rocket up the rankings late, and hopefully that'll be a Mississippi State kid, but uh, but by and large, you know, this is going to be a good class. I don't know that it'll be a great class rankings-wise, but I think they'll meet their needs, and I think you're going to have a lot of developmental offensive linemen in this class, and this is the staff that's shown to be able to do that. They've been able to develop guys, and it's a different deal for us. You know, we were used to running the power tray and the counter tray and that sort of stuff, and... And uh, we're not going to have those guards getting out and pulling, you know, behind the formation like we did so much with Dan Mowen. So it's a different skill set. So it's going to be an adjustment for all of us. Uh, before we get out of here, a couple more things I wanted to say. You know, we talked some about the SEC schedule. More and more people are now suggesting on the record and kind of behind the scenes that uh, the SEC East rotation might not be the best way to go. What I mean by that is, you know, we talked about adding Vanderbilt in Georgia. Because if you, you know, you you would move everything up, because then all of a sudden that doesn't just affect this year's schedule. That would affect next year and the next year. Now, of course, you could just move the whole rotation up and just be done with it. But I don't know that if you disrupt everything for the next handful of years just for this year. And it's a a good friend of mine shared with me earlier. This year almost feels like a throwaway year, uh, no matter how it works out record wise. And we may feel differently once we get in the middle of the season. But I don't think anybody can at this point is going to judge anybody too harshly for how things work out as long as we play some football this year. A lot of discussion, and I mentioned it on the show Friday about uh, some of the Ole Miss media suggesting perhaps that uh, they will push to move the Egg Bowl to the first week of the season this year. I- I'm told by people that would know that uh, that's not the case. There had not been any discussions about that. Now, listen, I-, I guess that could change, but we're going to make a decision here pretty soon about scheduling. Could be this week. Don't know for sure, but we're in August, and we're we're going we're to gonna want to play uh, play football here in about six weeks. You know, we're going to need to kind of know where we're going, where should we point the bus, right? And there's there's plans to be made, and hotel rooms to book, and there's a lot to kind of get this circus on the road. So it's not going to be something that lingers on. I am told that the uh, there are multiple scheduling models and that there will be a conference call of sorts between the league leadership to kind of discuss those things, and then ultimately there will be a vote. And, uh, you know, I think maybe in the end, Greg Sankey in the league just says, okay, listen, this is the league schedule. Not everybody's going to get what they want, but I think this year beggars can't be choosers. But, uh, you know, so it, it might be Vanderbilt, Georgia, but that's not guaranteed. Absolutely not guaranteed. We do know that will be somebody from the east. And while we have Kentucky and Mizzou on a schedule – this year I'm told that there's no guarantee that you get them with the revised schedule. Now, the conventional thinking is you're going to play everybody in the west and your permanent east opponent and then the rest of it could be shaken up. There's some discussion about, you know, strength of schedule, but you know my my question with that is is how do you determine strength of schedule? What what ranking are we going to use to kind of arbitrarily decide that that okay, this is going to be fair for this school? because let's be honest too if your team in the west i don't care which team you are i know some people are saying well that should be alabama i don't care who you are if the way this thing shakes out and you end up adding georgia florida it's not fair And let's say if you're florida all of a sudden you add alabama auburn or you add alabama lsu probably not fair now if you're mississippi state you're thinking hey we're going to add vanderbilt missouri hey great You know, we really don't want Georgia. But, you know, if we give us Vanderbilt and South Carolina, we're not going to complain. And Mississippi State, because of the fact that we play in the West, already has one of the more difficult schedules in the West, in the league, in the nation. But we'll see how it all shakes out. Uh, I want to share a couple other things, too, with you before we get out of here. Uh, I said that before, but uh, I mean it. A lot of discussion, too. Uh, about official offers as of late, and I actually tweeted something out about this. You know, there are a lot of people out there that uh, you know. Let, let's say, for an, I'll give you an example, and I want, I'm not going to mention any names because the names aren't important. But this is a name that perhaps some of you may know, but I'm not going to mention it. So there was a person in particular that reached out to a former Mississippi State coach and said, "Hey, coach, would you have an objection?" to these kids claiming they had an offer for Mississippi State. They're not going to try to commit or anything, and you don't have to talk to them or anything. I just want them to be able to say they have an offer for Mississippi State because I want to try to get them some juice. And if you guys will say if they can claim a Mississippi State offer, well, then other people are going to watch them. They're going to look at them. And, you know, maybe they'll get an opportunity, you know, at a G5 program. Maybe somebody else will look at them, and then when they're contacted, they can say, hey, you know, Yeah, Mississippi State offered, but I hadn't heard much from them, and so they were trying to kind of manipulate the game, and manipulate the process, and manipulate the media and people like myself into giving coverage to these players that uh, were not worthy of an SEC offer. And people say, well, you know, well, Steve, what's the harm in that? Well, there's a lot of harm in that because here's the attitude: I think when you know there, there should be some accountability for that. Well, and so just so you know. The former Mississippi State coach did not go along with it, did not okay that venture. And there are people out there that have, you know, an unscrupulous nature to them. And not everybody. It's one of the things I hear a lot of people that are very, very negative about 707. You know, years and years ago, I'm the one that submitted the names when, uh, you know, Baron Flannery had, you know, the next level athletic 707. And so for years, I would just give him the list, Hey, here are the best, you know, 15, 20 kids in Mississippi. And then he would call those people, and he would put a team together. Well, then a lot of times those, those kids would go, and there would only be a half a dozen of them that would go. They'd get invited, and then they would just kind of get thrown in as extra players with other teams. And so not long after that, I decided, you know what? If we're going to do this, let's have our own team. And so I then would pick the team, but I didn't coach the team. I had high school coaches that coach the team. Like I say for an example, um, when Channing Ward was a recruit, I reached out to the folks at Aberdeen and said, hey, listen, I want Channing Ward to be on the team, and if you've got a couple other kids you want to be on the team, if you will coach it, then they can come too. And so that's how we did it. And so the first year, I only did it for two years because I started coaching high school baseball and I wanted to watch my own kid play. But the first year we did it, I had Chandler Rogers from Brookhaven Academy as our quarterback. We had Dante Moncrief as the receiver. We had Tyreek Patrick from Philadelphia. C.J. Johnson was supposed to play, but he got injured. And Chip Henderson, who was a coach at Philadelphia, uh, Chip said, hey, listen, probably best if C.J. doesn't heal. We need him for the season, so I don't want to run the risk of him getting hurt. And so some coaches from Philadelphia coach a team. Chip coach a defense. And so we had a handful of kids in Madison Central. We had – Kyle Russell was our backup, Tyler Russell's younger brother, and so uh, we didn't have you know we had you know Dante obviously was a dude, and uh, it was kind of a coming out party for him because he got to pair up against a lot of these, you know, number one DB in the country from Texas and that sort of stuff, and he killed them. And so we went we went and played in Tuscaloosa, and our very first game we played Texas, and we got killed, and uh, we you know that was pool play, and then the next day we had the opportunity to play in uh, bracket play. It's just like a USA AAA tournament. You know, you, you have pool play, and then that, you seed, seed the tournament based on the pool play, and then you play. And, and I remember Tyreek Patrick, we called him Buck, was kind of the captain of the team. He, after we got beat as bad as we did that first game, Buck Patrick got everybody together. We had Jermaine Whitehead on that team. Uh, we had a lot of guys that wanted to play and did some big things. And Buck Patrick kind of got everybody together and said, hey, we're from Mississippi, and I don't know where everybody's going to school, but let, let's go show these people what we can do. And so the next morning, we got Texas again. And Texas was the number one seed. We were the last seed. We were seated last in the tournament after a bad day in pool play. I think we won one game in pool play. But that night, those kids got together, drew up some plays, figured some things out, and we beat Texas that morning, a team loaded with four- and five-star kids. And I think outside of maybe Jermaine and, and Dante, we didn't have a four-star kid on the team. We had a bunch of kids that went to, like, Mississippi College and went to Juco. We beat Texas. Then we beat Louisiana like a drum. Then we beat Alabama. And the next thing you know, we had to play a team out of Memphis, Tennessee that had Will Redmond and all those guys on it and we beat them for the championship. And Chief Brown from Winona, Mississippi, scored the game-winning touchdown with no time left to win the championship. And we win it, and it was one of the greatest weekends that I remember in my adult life. It was incredible. But nobody out there was doing anything improper. Nobody cared where the kids were going to school. We were just kind of uniting under one banner to go do something great for those kids, and we won. Well, then the next year, I didn't have any trouble putting a team together. And it's so funny, too, Baron Flannery, of course, and, and Baron's my friend. I'm not saying anything negative about him, but he's a Texas guy, a big state of Texas guy. So when we beat them, I even joked with him. I said, I bet you want to go through here and tear all this stuff down and the team's eliminated. The next year we played, uh, maybe we're at Sanford, I guess it was. That was when we had the tornado. And we went and played and uh, – and we beat the, the bootleggers the first round of the uh, Saturday, knocked them out, and sent Louisiana home. They had Trayvon Durrell. They were a great team. They really were. But we beat them. That team was a little different. We had Alex Nicholson. I still see him around town in the gym sometimes. From Southeast Lauderdale as our quarterback. For those of you who don't remember him, he looks like a defensive lineman now. but He was quarterback then. We had a couple kids from Oak Grove. I don't even know what ever happened to them. We had Joe Morrow on the team. We had Greg Brooks from Brookhaven on the team. Well, it was kind of a thrown together team. And we still went over there. And even though we didn't win, we got invited to Nationals. And then I had to kind of give it up because here's the thing. You know, I, I know what my intentions are. And I'll be honest with you, in contrary to popular belief, you know, I know that every kid in the state of Mississippi is not going to go to Mississippi State, even the ones that have a state offer. There are some that are going to go to Old Miss, and some are going to go out of state. That doesn't mean we can't occasionally unite under one banner and go do something cool on behalf of the state of Mississippi. But unfortunately, there are some people that uh, their intentions are not as pure. And it's so funny, too. I, I think, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, that's the, the second team, I think the only kid that went to Mississippi State was Joe Morrow. I think that's right. And I, I think more kids went to Ole Miss. You know, Chief Brown and Dante went to Ole Miss on that first team. And uh, what's so crazy about that is uh, every so often those pictures will pop up on Facebook and those guys will comment. Because, man, I remember how much fun we had that weekend. And those kids and their parents pitched in money, and and very few of the parents came, and many of the kids even slept two and three to go bed. They had to pay for their own hotel rooms because, you know, we're not out here raising money. Listen, we're we're a team. This is when we play. And so if you can't play, let us know. Tobias Singleton was on that team. He also went to Ole Miss. And those are the things that I think about in hindsight. You know, it's like none of that mattered that weekend. But it's incredible how much that matters to some people today. And there are a lot of people out there that are involved that don't have any business being involved. And so I say all that to say this, is that uh, there are a lot of things that find my inbox, and most of them don't really interest me. But I've had some people reach out and share some things, and so I'm kind of exploring that. I'm kind of seeing where it goes. There are a lot of times people share things, and you know, they, they think there's something to it, and there's really not. But uh, there are some things that I'm curious about. And so... I'm looking into them, and if you know anything about me, you know that when I do decide to look into something, I really look into it. It's not something that I just kind of sit around and say, hey, I wonder what's really going on here. I'm a nosy person, and I don't have any problem asking the difficult questions, and so I'm about getting ready to ask some of those again. Well, that's going to do it for today. We'll be back on Wednesday, and uh, listen, I'm going to share this with you guys, too, before we get out of here. It has been a difficult year in a lot of respects. And it's been a very difficult year for the Mississippi State family. We have lost Deronye Wilson, we've lost P.J. Jones, and we've lost D.J. Looney. And one of the most difficult things in life that I have that's difficult for me to reconcile is the loss of young people. I don't understand why young people die. You know, listen, we have accidents sometimes, and sometimes we have, there's malice in life, there's injustice in life, I'm well aware of that. But it really seems that uh, we have had a rough stretch, and so... I think it's okay to feel that because our loss as painful as it is for us is very minor compared to what those families are dealing with. And so if you have the opportunity to help or to reach out, please do. I know Miss Sarah Looney would appreciate that. I know Bear Wilson's family and PJ Jones family had a lot of appreciation for the Mississippi state family. One of the things that I've learned about Mississippi state folks is that, uh, we care about people. We really do. And, um, uh, it's just like we saw with David Johnson. You know, I mean, it's it's so easy you know, to forget about that stuff when life happens. You know what I mean? You, you can forget about a rivalry when more important things happen. And, and let's be honest with you. Most everything uh, when it comes to life and death is more important than a rivalry, than a college football rivalry or sports rivalry. Uh, I never forget those things. But I also know this. I know when my friend Dave Johnson was in the hospital uh, – I ached for his family every single day. And I thought about it's one of the reasons I went ahead and wanted to knock out the book the way that I did. I thought, you know, I know Dave Johnson would love to be at home with his family writing about sports, and so I'm not going to sit here watching Netflix all day every day. I'm going to go do something out of respect for my friend Dave. And so, uh, listen, wish you guys the best, but uh, we're going to make it through this, kids, and I think it's important that we all lean upon each other. And uh, if nothing else, the DJ Looney story has probably taught us again Another painful reminder that tomorrow is not guaranteed to any of us. So forgive. Don't hold grudges. And if there are people out there that you love and you hadn't told them in a while, maybe pick up the phone and call them let them know. Because you never know when you're going to lose that opportunity. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we make more friends than enemies. And people can see a difference in the way we live. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger.